Well, hello again. Good morning from me. And uh, just, just what a lovely way to, to start. Not just a lovely way to start a service, but can I just tell you just how welcomed, how loved we feel already. And I mean, we're still getting to know half years, but uh, just thank you for, for such a lovely welcome in. Um, for those of you who haven't met, I really would love to get around to meeting you. Uh, I, I quite like coffee and chatting. Maybe we can combine those things. Um, it would be great to get to know you as we're going on forwards. It's just really interesting that we had that word um, about kind of revelation and, and curtains opening. Um, we haven't compared notes or anything. The passage that I want to speak to us from this morning is the transfiguration. Now, I'll just start right away by saying I'm not drawing any particularly shiny <laughs> comparisons there. Don't, let's just set that bar of expectation back down a layer. But... Uh, but it's interesting that, that God's revelation, God revealing himself, uh, is, is kind of topical through this moment as well as, um, as well as the passage you're looking at. We were looking at transfiguration because this is Transfiguration Sunday in many of the church's calendars. And we thought that would be quite a nice place to have a look at. Uh, and as well as being a time of change for Kingdom Vineyard and a time of a new season for us, uh, obviously it's a new season for Rachel and I, it all sort of came together rather nicely. So, uh, so that seemed to be quite fortuitous. The transfiguration then. It's the ultimate demonstration of what we call the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. In the transfiguration, we see Jesus' glory. We see the curtain briefly pulled back to reveal visibly some of the reality of the kingdom of God. But of course, the full reveal of Jesus in glory, when time is called on this world, that's yet to come. We're in the group that are still waiting for that. I want to start by quoting Toby, uh, which seemed like a safe place to come from. <laughs> uh, yeah. In the conversation we've been having in the last couple of weeks, I've been taking the opportunity to settle in, uh, to begin to get to know Kingdom Vineyard and how we work, but also, I think, to, to pray, to take time to think about what we're about as church. Something Toby observed that I found particularly helpful, and I hope you'll forgive me for paraphrasing it just so slightly as I've been dwelling on it, was this. Firstly, as Christ's church, we are Christ's bride. Our place then is to stand in adoration of him. Secondly, as Christ's church, we're his body. We are his hands and his feet. And therefore, our place is to reach out and to minister, to serve, just as Jesus did around Galilee and Judea 2,000 years ago, and just as he would be doing if he physically had a body walking amongst us here in Fife in 2017. So, we are set to task as his body, and we are to bask as his bride, in him, in his presence, in his glory, and most of all, I think, in his love. Everything we do is a response to that. Everything we are is a response to that. It is the cause celebre, the reason to get up in the morning. And today I think our passage is a really helpful one in encouraging us to stop, to take time out and to re-examine what it is to bask in Jesus' glorious presence. Just as the disciples did, face to face as Jesus was transfigured before them, and just as we can still do this morning right here, thanks to his presence with us. And so, my main message for this morning 
if you're the sort who likes to listen out for the main point and then snooze from there on in, is this. You just receive. You just receive. One of the main things I love about Kingdom Vineyard, one of the things I've missed so painfully when I have been enjoying worshipping in other churches since my time here, is that we do a ministry time. When I was a student back in 2006 uh, and was still really new to Kingdom Vineyard, was trying to get to know kind of what's this church, who are they, what do they do, uh, I noticed at the end of services they offered some prayer. Someone would preach and then they'd say, would you like to come forward for prayer? Oh, this is great. So I came forward about six or seven weeks in a row. And about week six, Toby came to me, uh, pulled me to one side and uh, very pastorally, very gently said, you know, uh, is there anything extra, any extra pastoral support we can do? You know, is, uh, you know, is, is there something wrong with you, Jimmy? <laughs> it took me a minute or two to work out what was going on. Oh, ah, uh, yeah. No, you guys are offering free prayer. <laughs> you kidding me? <laughs> of course I'm going forward. I've seen people... I've seen people get blessed like you can't imagine. I've seen God meet with people powerfully. I've seen people healed in ministry times. You think I'm not coming forward for prayer? Of course I'm coming forward. I've been more blessed than I can say by good people like you guys praying for me in ministry times here and in other places I've seen it done. And so I love them. I love ministry times. And I love that we do do them as part of our services here. I don't know if you found yourself praying for someone in one of those opportunities and perhaps they are new to it, or perhaps there's something that's really on their heart that's burdening them, and you're praying for them, saying, Lord, come, do you have anything to say to this person? And they're going, straining their guts out, trying desperately to make God come a bit more. I found myself in that situation where I had to stand next to them and say, it's okay, (laughs) we'll do the praying for you. You just receive. Training the person in that moment, even for that next 10 seconds, to, to just relax. God's big enough. We're asking him for you. you. You just receive. I think that in the transfiguration, God was showing his glory, his presence, and was getting across his crucial message to the disciples. He wasn't asking them to do anything in that moment. Just to take it in to receive, to be able to begin to get what was going on and realize the importance of it. So let's turn to the passage, shall we? If you're the sort who likes to read along in uh, some sort of paper or electronic device, I'm going to be dipping in and out of Luke chapter 9 from verse 27 onwards. Similarly, if you get bored of the chat, again, you can just read around and that's still holy, isn't it? (laughs) Why don't I give you a bit of context slash finding it time? Building up to Luke chapter 9, we've got loads of miracles. Brilliant. We've got people healed. We've got 5,000 being fed, 4,000 being fed. We've got loads of people being fed. We've also got loads of Pharisee hostile questioning. The religious authorities are not impressed with this Jesus fella, and they're taking opportunity after opportunity to shout in pot shots from the sidelines. You're wrong about this, he would, they would shout at him. Or you, you, well, you can't be who you claim to be, or how dare you claim to be that. So there's lots of hostility. Lots of opposition. Just before this bit, uh, the transfiguration, uh, some commentators think that Jesus takes the disciples on retreat. On that retreat, Peter, amongst the disciples, confesses, you're the Christ. So it's a significant time. 
And Jesus' response is, yeah, you got it. So listen up then. The stakes are high. You've got to be all in. It's about taking up a cross and following me. And I am going to suffer, to be rejected, to be killed and rise again. Jesus took that opportunity to reset their expectations. This wasn't about building an earthly empire. It was about building the kingdom of God. I haven't worked out how to translate that into the risk board game yet, but when I do, I'll market it. It'll be brilliant. Why don't we read the passage? So this is Luke chapter 9, starting at verse 27. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory, and the two men stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good that we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one, whom I love. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Amen. We're just going to pick out a few things uh, in this passage that I've just read through that I find interesting or challenging, and I'm hoping that God's going to speak through them to you this morning as well. That would be nice, wouldn't it? be a pretty good start. So here's a challenge in passing from verse 28. Jesus took his core team, having taken the 12 on retreat to give them some opportunity to sit, to process who is this Jesus guy, to, to spend time getting to know him. He then further again takes his core team, Peter, James, John, his three closest, up for a prayer retreat, and they climb a mountain. I mean, this is not just, should we just go around the back for a minute? So they go off and they climb a mountain, which uh, is pretty significant. And Mark's gospel, the way Mark's gospel presents this verse, he emphasizes that Jesus took Peter, James, and John away, themselves apart alone. Mark's making the point, themselves apart alone. This is really important. And the importance of, the importance of making time by yourself with Jesus is pretty central to a strong relationship with him. So, friends, old and new, how often recently have you let Jesus take you on retreat, yourselves apart alone? I say you, but it's pretty obvious to most of us who've been knocking around a church for a while. But if it's obvious, are we making the time to do it? Sometimes we tell ourselves that we haven't got the time or the energy to go to all that effort. But not but you should, not but you must, but. I think God wants to meet us there. Often, I think God wants to meet with us in our prayer times and say to us, 
You just receive. If that's what it's about, maybe we can bump it up the agenda just a bit. Verse 29 says, As he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered. His clothing became dazzling white. Of the three accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that look at the transfiguration in detail, it's Luke who points out to us that it was as he was praying. This was really significant. The transfiguration happens as Jesus is praying. This is Jesus, the Son of God, taking time to focus his heart on his Father, and I think very much involving the presence of the Holy Spirit as well, as he was praying. Without opening up the, I think, fascinating question of Christology and just how Jesus' power worked, did it come from a bit within him or from the Father or the Spirit? I think what we can see here is the Father's power given to the Son through the Holy Spirit. I think that the transfiguration, the glowy bit, was us getting to see the whole Trinity working together in love. God sets us the example of loving communication, which... Again, we're invited to. It looks to me like the father wanted to show the disciples who Jesus was. Not quite, didn't he do well at sports day? This isn't the gold medal for first in egg and spoon. But there's still a proud father. There's still a delight in, guys, look at him. Hmm? It's my boy. I think the father wanted to honor Jesus, to bless Jesus. Dare I say it, I don't know if Jesus knew that the transfiguration was going to happen. Maybe he did. There's nothing in scripture to tell us either way. Could this be that from Jesus' point of view, this was a you just receive moment? I think this is important for us. This is important, honest. If you're not a theologian and you're tuning out, come back. Come back from the brink. If this was something that Jesus did in his own son of godness, in his own intrinsic power, then... This is just something that we Christians can observe, can wonder at, and can say, he is God, let's worship him. But we can't do anything like that ourselves, because we just don't have that power. But if, if this was a Holy Spirit-enabled thing, if this was the Father working through the Spirit, then maybe something like this fits into the you will do even greater things than these promise that Jesus gave us in John chapter 14, verse 12, and then gave us his presence, the Holy Spirit, so that we can meet God powerfully. And I've sort of seen this. Have you ever prayed for someone, prayed that God's presence would meet them, and their face has changed? I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to go incandescent, but you see a full physical change come over their face as God meets them. Witness their very face change as you prayed with them. I think that the words, as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, I think those words describe a reality that's available to us here today. Only at the front, though. Sorry, not in your seats. That we can be met by the presence of God in a way that is powerful, transformational even. When I have finished speaking, we'll have a chance to come forward for prayer. And my favorite of all the prayers is, come Holy Spirit. Inviting God to show his presence and his love for someone. If 
you would like to invite God to meet with you this morning, to invite his peace and his priorities into your life once again, please do. Let's have more of us full of more of him. Verse 30. Then Moses and Elijah turn up. Now God used these guys to save his people and restore his glory. Here we have Moses, who led God's people out of slavery in Egypt, who met God face to face on a mountaintop. It was no accident, by the way. Who returned down from that meeting with God, holding the law, twice, and received the instructions for building the tabernacle where God would meet with his people from that point on. And we have Elijah, who God used to call his people back to, a, back to him in some very dark days, to remove false prophets of idol worship in Israel, to perform amazing healings, resuscitations of dead people, huge miracles, and Elijah was also the promised prophet to signify that the Messiah was coming. So, from Peter, James, and John's perspective, as good members of God's chosen people Israel, they see appearing in front of them the people who represent the law and the prophets stood with Jesus in glory. That's pretty huge. And so what are they to do about it? Just take it in. Just get it. Just receive. Nothing else required. So far, so amazing. Next verse, verse 31. Moses and Elijah are talking with Jesus, so what are they discussing? Jesus' departure, where are we? And spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. They were discussing Jesus' death. Now the words that's often translated departure is in fact in the Greek that Luke's gospel was originally written in, the word exodus. Oh, I really hope that wasn't, oh, Really? Too much? Okay. We'll work towards panto as the weeks go on. There you go. Good. He is behind me, yeah. Which... There you go. I was promised heckling. Good. We'll try that again. The word translated departure is in the Greek the word exodus. That was great. Not only was there an R, uh, but a few of you defaulted to ooh. Like in the great game show of Luke's gospel. You might win. Right, okay, great, we'll move on. Now, of course, the word can be translated departure. But when I say exodus, we who've been here long enough to remember it preached in Kingdom Vineyard or listened to all the podcasts or just knocked around a church long enough to have heard of the Bible before, we all immediately think of the book of Exodus, surely. And God's people being led out of slavery in Egypt. Am I right? The exodus of God's people from Egypt was so much more than a departure. This wasn't a pack your bag, lads, the flight's due sort of moment. This was a release from slavery. It was the forming of the national identity of God's people. It was staking everything on God being faithful and coming through for them miraculously. And so, when Moses shows up, of all people Moses shows up to discuss with Jesus his exodus, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem, there is more going on here than just a discussion about death. Jesus at the cross was about to put into play the key move in God's plan regarding mankind and the world. 
Operation Creation Restoration was go. And we, humankind, were in preparation to be led out of sin, out of the legally legitimate captivity of Satan, into a new freedom, a reset relationship, and a new unity with God. The new covenant, restoring relationship between you, sat in your seat right now, and Father God was down to our exodus from slavery to Satan. Moses and Elijah were talking to Jesus about the big one. Heaven's grand plan of loving rescue. Again, this is pretty huge. And so when Moses and Elijah begin to depart in verse 33, Peter blurts out, Master, it's good that we're here. Let's make three tents, one for each of you. Now, I want to give Peter a bit more credit than, than we might do. I mean, I love the understatement of the Bible, uh, not knowing what he said. <laughs> so much packed into there. If you've read Peter in the rest of the Gospels, bless him. He's captain foot in mouth. He loves it. Um, but let's give him a bit more credit. Peter might be well enough read to spot that what's going on here is so significant. We've got the ancient festivals of tabernacles, of dwelling together in tents. Hang on, Moses, Elijah, the Messiah, this, this is fulfilling everything that we've understood. So let's, let's give him a bit, bit more credit. Peter's thinking, this is great. Maybe it's time for us to, to do that festival thing, right? Peter's suggestion, I want to say, it wasn't wrong. It wasn't bad. It just wasn't what God was up to just then. It's a bit like the story of Martha and Mary, if you remember it. Luke chapter 10, verse 38, if you're a reader-longer. If you're not, Mary is sat chatting to Jesus. In fact, sitting at his feet and just listening to him. Doesn't that sound lovely? Just to sit at Jesus' feet and sort of absorb him. Martha, her sister, she's bustling about, distracted by much serving, the ESV translation puts it. And then Martha gives Mary a row. Is that right? Did I get that right? Okay, great. So Martha gives Mary a row for not helping her out with the serving. I apologize, I'll stop that right now. (laughs) Rachel insists that if I try that too hard, I'll get a good stabbing. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus answers them, actually, Martha, Mary had that one just right. Serving is good, but recognizing that sometimes we just need to sit and chill with Jesus, well, that's better. I think that that's also what Jesus was getting at when he defended the woman who poured really expensive perfume on him instead of selling it and giving that money to feed the poor. Obviously, taking care of people who need taking care of is godly work. Obviously. But it's sometimes important to give our time and our energies to worshipping Jesus, to basking in his presence. Sunbathing, if you can see what I mean past the awful pun. Sometimes... I believe that the way that God set up our relationship with him means he says to us, you just receive. I heard a story on one of the KB podcasts from the last few months where Toby described one of his delightful daughters toddling around after him, asking, what are you doing, daddy? And then insisting that she would help in copying daddy as earnestly as possible. It's a lovely story. I think Peter had a Peter help, Peter do it too moment. And he's not wrong, love him. He's just at risk of being so ready to do that he misses out on what God's giving to him. So, Peter makes his unthinking comment. Peter, help. But the Father and the Holy Spirit was glorifying Jesus. I think both for Jesus' own encouragement, I mean, he's got Jerusalem and the cross coming, and for the disciples too. 
It's worth pointing out here that our Heavenly Father speaks audibly twice in the Gospels, unless I've missed another one. Once when Jesus was baptized, and the second time when Jesus was transfigured. When Jesus was baptized, he was immediately sent out into the wilderness for 40 days, confronting and being worn down by constant niggling doubts that Satan, which means the accuser, would bombard him with to cause him to doubt who he was. If you are really the son of God, dot, 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 if you're the son of God. So at the baptism, Jesus, when he's coming out of the water, gets reassurance from daddy in heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Now we know that Jesus hears that. We've got that from the gospels. I suspect Jesus passed that on and it was written down. The gospels don't say how many other people heard it or whether anyone else did. But it was for Jesus, you are my beloved son. At the transfiguration, a cloud overshadows them on the mountaintop and a voice from the cloud speaks and crucially, the disciples hear this one and are understandably quite nervous about it. I'm going to switch across to Matthew because Matthew's version of the transfiguration uh, in 17 verse 6 says it includes their response, which Luke sort of skips over. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. As a side note, Jesus responds to that by going in the next verse, going up to them and touching them and saying, rise and have no fear. Even in that moment, Jesus is looking out for them. So we know that the disciples heard his voice, loud and clear. But I don't think that Father God was just trying to scare them or anything of that sort. I don't even think this was a booming backing of Jesus, kind of, and an to, wow, it doesn't matter what the disciples think of this. I think that this is God the Father speaking directly to Peter, James, and John to strengthen them against the attacks of the Pharisees. So the way I read it, the Pharisees are constantly challenging Jesus by questioning his authority, questioning his identity, questioning whether he is serving God, or in fact, is he blaspheming against the Father by doing things in a way that they didn't recognize, like healing people, but on a Sabbath day? If you are a disciple following Jesus around, surely... The bombardment of these accusations must plant a small seed of doubt. I mean, if we're in their shoes today, it'd be as if all the church leaders in town reject this teacher, all the theologians all reject and ridicule him. Anyone with any authority says this guy is at least bogus and at worst, he's dangerous. Have you ever seen the Mitchell and Webb sketch where they're sat in a trench and they're, they're kind of the German soldiers and they have a moment of, are we the bad guys? The disciples must have had a moment. The teachers say no. The religious people say no. I mean, yeah, sure, the feeding of people, that's pretty cool and all, but are we the good guys? I'm sure that even the disciples must have had a nagging doubt somewhere in the back of their minds, even with everything they'd seen Jesus do. Can Jesus really be the son of God? Is he really loved by God? Does the Father approve of what Jesus is doing, or is this blasphemy? And therefore, is Jesus' teaching really true, really worth anything? So, notice what the Father says to these disciples at the transfiguration. This is my son, my chosen one. Other versions, Mark and Matthew add, my beloved, with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Let's take these one by one. This is my son, 
This is a direct affirmation to the disciples, calling out the challenges the Pharisees made almost word for word. Imagine the effect of hearing that, hearing the voice of Father God saying, yes, this guy, he is my son. What strength would that give you against those persistent whispering doubts? What resilience against the sneers of the authorities? What boost of faith would it give you in your worship of Jesus and trying to copy him to minister to people? My chosen one, or my beloved, with whom I'm well pleased. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, as I say, they'd emphasize different bits of the message. I've no trouble believing that the voice from heaven said all of these things. They're certainly consistent with each other. I choose him. I'm for him. He delights me. He is my beloved. There is no doubt about it. Jesus' ministry, including his healings on the Sabbath, including his ministry to those whose society said was outcasts and you shouldn't go near, the impure, there's no doubt these things are utterly God's heart. Jesus isn't a disobedient wildcard renegade out on the edge. He is the very son of God, operating entirely in the Father's will. What confidence that gives you, disciple, to stand with Jesus. What strength that gives you to carry on serving God in the way that Jesus has modeled. And lastly of the three, listen to him. All of the gospel accounts include this term, listen to him. Why? Well, I think that Jesus' authority probably needed reconfirming, re-emphasizing to Peter, James, and John. Again, the disciples' undermining questions would have planted the fatal doubt, is this guy for real? Therefore, are his teachings worth it? Are they worth listening to? He really is God's son. He is in God's favor. Therefore, his teachings are valid. Not just his teachings on how to do life, how to treat each other, but more than that, Jesus' insistence that the son of man must suffer and be betrayed, it's just been backed up from the father himself. So again, putting yourself in Peter, James, and John's shoes, this has just got very real. No more taking Jesus aside to correct him on that awkward suffering part. This is the plan. So what are Peter, James, and John to make of this then? The voice of God from the cloud had given them no go and do. It had been purely a look at Jesus. This is who he is and how he stands with the Father. It had been a solid, affirming message of, guys, get this understood. And it had been a declaration that showed them that Jesus was worthy of their worship. They'd been invited to have this truth shown to them, to understand it, to bask in this truth and in God's presence. I think that on the top of that mountain, God wanted those disciples to receive his truth, to receive his presence. That the Father really wanted them to be able to see the glory, the amazingness of Jesus, to be able to be awed by him and delight in him. And then from that point of certainty, from their own powerful experience, the disciples could minister powerfully with and for Jesus. So friends, this morning, where are you operating from? Do you and I find ourselves serving God, whether that's telling people about Jesus so they can meet him and be saved or praying for people to be supernaturally healed or whether that's serving in ministry is like storehouse to feed those who need help. Do you and I find ourselves serving God with that certainty of who Jesus is and what that means for his power with you? This isn't a finger wag, but 
If you're feeling like that's not your certainty, that's not your firm foundation, then I think God would invite you to your own experience of his presence, whether that's for the first time or the 500th time. Inviting you to your own basking in him, your own strengthening. The rest of that serving business flows out of that meeting with him. I think God would say to you, first off, come to me. You just receive. I'm really looking forward to this new chapter in my and Rachel's lives. I'm really looking forward to being part of this new chapter in the life of Kingdom Vineyard. A precious church full of precious, precious souls. And I'm sure that God's heart for us as church together, as well as each and every one of us, you as individuals in your seats, is that we do everything from a place of closeness with him. That our very beings are based in closeness with him. I know that we can do a great many things as Christ's body in this town and this kingdom of Fife, including not least the brilliant work of Storehouse. But so long as we remember the privilege and delight that we have as Christ's bride, that we get to enjoy him and bask in him, we serve in love. And today, I believe God says to you, you just receive. Why don't you stand and I'll pray for you. Generous, loving Father, we praise you, we worship you, that you would meet us to delight in us, to invite us to delight in you, that you would invite us to just receive from you. Thank you so much, Lord, we praise you so much. We love you so much. And would you once again come Holy Spirit. Even more of you Lord. Even just now. And would you be meeting hearts. Reminding us who you are. Reminding us the love that you have for us. I think there's a good number of us here this morning who just aren't sure, aren't sure where we're at with God. Uh, maybe you've known him for a long time, but you just, you just don't hear him as clearly at the moment. I think, I think what God would say to you, if that sounds like you, is he's really proud of you. He wants to put you up on, on that first place plinth with a, a little gold sticker on. there's anything that you would like some prayer for this morning whether that's huge great big difficult things or you just want a touch of God again this morning can I invite you to come for some prayer